Amen. I thank God that there are things that we believe. You can be sit down. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the uh, first, the book of First John, the little epistle of First John, chapter number one. First John, chapter number one. First John, chapter number one. Uh, you know, it's. In, I love that song because there are things that we proclaim as believers that we have put our faith and trust in. There are things that we believe that is uh, that as our teaching. Uh, I was listening recently to something that was discovered not too long ago. Uh, it was a writing from the early church from about the second or third century. It's called the Didache. The word Didache in Greek means teaching. And there are things that are taught as, our, as, our, as Christians that we believe in the and uh, those are doctrinal issues, didache, doctrine. And so this morning, as we've sung in that song of things we believe, there is something this morning that I want to teach upon that is essential uh, to uh, the teaching of Christianity. And it is about the doctrine concerning the blood of Jesus Christ. Now this is an exhaustive uh, subject to, uh, that we could go into for several weeks, but I want to do a summary uh, teaching on the doctrine of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to do it under this heading, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. The title of a hymn we'll talk about later on in this message. But Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. 1 John chapter number 1. And we'll look at verses 1 through 10. We'll focus on chapter number, uh, verse number 7. But I want to read the full context of what John is communicating to the churches in this epistle. 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Notice John starts with the concrete, the historical. He was there. He saw these things. He handled. Jesus was no apparition. That was much of the pervasive teaching that was infiltrating the church at that time. That Jesus, uh, it, was a, um, it was a teaching that Jesus was an apparition, was a, was a spirit, a, a Gnosticism had infiltrated the church. But John refutes that. He handled the word of life. He's seen that. He had looked upon him. Verse number 2. For the life which was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things have we, uh, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Notice verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, meaning his God's son, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Look at verse number 7, that last phrase. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. Thank you for how it has been communicated to us down through millennia. Even to us, we have the fresh testimony of the Apostle John before us today. And it declares something significant about the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would come and take your word coupled with the power of your spirit. Bring this text to life before us today. Let us see of the great significance of the subject of the blood of Jesus. God, let us be renewed in our faithful commitment that it is by the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, the blood that he shed that atones for our sins. God, help us cleave to that cross and that blood that was shed for us. God, I pray that if there be any among us without the, without the knowledge, saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, may they hear the witness and testimony of the blood of Jesus, and may they come and have that blood applied to them, avail themselves of the blood of Jesus for the cleansing of their sins. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Many years ago, there was a great parliament of all the world religions that was held in the city of Chicago. Practically every known religion of the world was represented there. During one of the sessions, during a lull in the conversation of different speakers, a Dr. Joseph Cook of Boston suddenly rose to his feet and said these words, I want to introduce to you a woman of great sorrow. Blood stains are on her hands and nothing she has tried will remove them. The blood is that of murder. She has been driven to desperation in her distress. Now, is there anything that your religion, uh, in, in your religion, that will remove her sin and give her peace? His sudden outburst uh, uh, caught the assembly off guard. And a hushed silence fell over the entire gathering. No one of the vast company replied to his question. Raising his eyes heavenward, Dr. Cook continued to cry out, John, can you tell this woman how to get rid of her awful sin? The great preacher uh, stopped in silence as if he was waiting for a reply from heaven. Then suddenly he cried, listen, John speaks, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. Not one of that whole assembly broke the silence. The representatives of Eastern religions and Western cults sat dumbfounded as to what to do about this woman's sin. Just like this woman, the hands of mankind are no less bloody. Bloody with the lawless deeds of a wicked world. But thank God, the, the gospel truth rings clear in the Word of God and in our text. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. For just a few moments, I want to take a closer look at the subject 
of the blood of Jesus Christ through the lens of this verse in 1 John. It is vitally important for both the lost and the saved, for both believing and unbelieving, for the church and the world to understand the vital importance of the blood of Jesus Christ. I've always been kind of puzzled by Peter's words in 2 Peter 1.9. Listen to what he says. But he that lacketh these things, he's talking about different qualities of the Christian life. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Listen to this. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. As I briefly read that in the reading of my Bible, I've often thought that this verse was saying that somehow a person could forget that they were saved. But that's not exactly what this verse is saying. I often would say, how in the world could someone forget that they're saved? But, but the key to understanding Peter's words in that verse is the word purged. He talks about... He had forgotten that they were purged from his old sin. That word purge means to wash. It means to purify. It means to cleanse. As a matter of fact, it is the same word, aside from some variation in tense, it's the same word used in 1 John 1-7 in our text where he, he talks about the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin. We have been, uh, they had forgotten this particular people that Peter is talking about, had forgotten that they were cleansed, that they were washed, that they were purified, that they had been purged from their sins. And so what it, does John say cleanses us from sin? What is this person that Peter refers to? What if they've forgotten they have forgotten that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from sin. They had forgotten that there is nothing but the blood of Jesus that cleanses from sin. Child of God, it's vitally important that you and I keep in the forefront of our minds the significance, the preciousness, the powerfulness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Every living, living and breathing person on this planet can lay a hold of the eternal benefits of God's saving ability by understanding three critical attributes of the saving blood of Jesus Christ found in this verse that I'm going to look at today. Number one of those three critical elements. Number one, I want you to think about the scriptural subject of the blood. John is going through and talking about Jesus and how that he had been seen, how that they witnessed that was very important in what was going on in the church of that day, that he had been, he had seen Jesus, the Word made flesh, he had handled him, he had met with him, he had known him. And then he comes in verse number 7 and mentions that the blood of God's Son had been shed. He, he refers to the blood. It is a shame that in many circles of Christianity, references to the blood of Jesus have been 
discreetly removed uh, from hymns and songs because it just seems to be evidently too gory for people to sing about. It's funny that people are that way because every year horror movies with all kinds of blood and guts uh, tops the ratings as the, as the most uh, money being made by Hollywood. Americans can seem to watch enough blood and guts and gore in their movies and television shows and video games to float a battleship and never bat an eye. But God forbid we ever talk about or sing about blood in our worship. Well, when it comes to God, He does not have a problem. He's not squeamish at all when it comes to the subject of blood. Notice, first of all, it is a subject of Old Testament declaration. You know, the Old Testament is filled with accounts of the importance of blood. In Genesis chapter number 3, I'm going to take you down through some scenes, but in Genesis chapter 3, if you'll recall how that Adam and Eve sinned and they used fig leaves to cover their nakedness. You remember how God came looking for Adam in the cool of the day, calling to him. Adam revealed himself to God. And that's, that's when God began to deal with their sin. And do you remember what he did after he cursed Adam uh, to toil in the ground? After he cursed Eve because of her sin and Adam's sin, after he cursed the devil himself, it went from there to dealing with that sin. Do you remember what happened when they dealt with that sin? It said in Genesis 3.21, it clearly indicates that God made the coats to cover their nakedness from skins, from leather, and from hide. There is no doubt that the, the blood of animals was shed in that very first scene in the dealing of sin. As a matter of fact, this is the first sight of blood in all recorded history. In all of history, the first sight of blood for Adam and Eve was God dealing with their sin. In the book of Exodus, the children of Israel were in bondage 400 years and God did determine to deliver them. Do you remember the story? After sending plague after plague after plague upon the land of Egypt, finally at the last plague would be sent. Do you remember what that was? That was that angel of death that would go through Egypt's land and slay every firstborn son of the, of the people in that land. And, and so as, as being part of that land, being part of that, uh, God's people were subject to that same death angel. But what did God do? He brought to them that saving knowledge, that, the way that they could save that firstborn son. Do you remember how it was? They were to take a lamb. I'm not going to go into all the specifications. They were to take that spotless lamb born of their flocks. They were to sacrifice that lamb, shed its blood, and then take that blood and paint it over the lintel and the doorposts of, our, of their homes uh, uh, where God would say, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
meaning the death angel would pass over that household, that firstborn son that might be shaking in that home, wondering if his life would be called to account by the plague of God. He had trust in the blood uh, to cause him to be delivered over that night. And Jews to this day celebrate that same passing over. And that passing over was by the blood of the deliverance came by the blood. In the book of Leviticus, it is a bloody book. Verse by verse, the book declares God's economy of redemption of sin among His people. By goat, by bullock, by ram, even by the smallest of turtle doves. Time and time again, sin is purged and atoned for by the blood. You know, actually, when you think about the Old Testament, it can actually be seen as three parts. The law, the prophets, and uh, the poetical works. Three parts there in the Old Testament. Now, if there's one book that represents the heart of God when dealing with the, uh, when dealing with the, the priests or, or the, law, the law of God, it has to be the book of Leviticus, which is the handbook of the priests. And at the heart of the book of Leviticus, you will find the feast days and preeminently the Day of Atonement. In the book of Leviticus, it's when God instituted as well as when it happened, instituted that day of Passover, that yearly celebration. And listen what he said in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. What is God saying in the book of Leviticus? I believe it's the same thing John is saying in 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. What say the prophets? Where do we see the heart of the prophets? When I talk about prophets, I'm talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, all the myriad of the minor prophets with a major message, all of these. If we had to pick out one of those prophets to represent the heart of God, I think we could probably pick Isaiah. Um, many uh, call him the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. And if we had to come to the heart of Isaiah's prophecy, we'd come to Isaiah 53. And what do we find there? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. What is Isaiah prophesying? The same thing that John tells us. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. Where do we find the, the heart of the poetical works? Well, I believe that can be found in, in, in the Psalms of David. Uh, I think that's the heartbeat of the poetical works. And, and where, if we looked all over the Psalms, where would we see the heart of God? I believe we see it in Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Psalm 22 talks about the cross. Psalm 23 talks about the crook of the shepherd. And Psalm 24 talks about the crown of the sovereign. And what do we find in Psalm 22 with its verses as a vivid visions of Calvary long before the crucifixion of Jesus ever took place? 
Psalm 22, 16 and 17. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. Uh, they, look at, uh, they, they look and stare upon me. What is the psalmist singing in his, in his poetic strains? I believe the same thing that John's singing. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Even in the Old Testament, the essential nature of the blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the bullock, the atoning blood is a major theme that points us to the Messiah. Notice second of all, not only we see it as a subject of Old Testament declaration, but it's a subject of New Testament application. When we come to the New Testament, it is not the blood of bulls and of goats or the ashes of an heifer of the Old Testament economy that is significant in the context of man's sin. No, it is the blood of the Lamb of God. Not the Lamb of the flock, but the Lamb of God. God's Son, the, pro- the blood of the promised Messiah is given the preeminent importance in the New Testament. For example, in Romans 3.25, we are told that righteousness and remission of sins is through faith in the blood of Jesus. In Romans 5, 9, we are told that justification before the eyes of a holy God is by the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 7 and Colossians 1, 14, we are told that forgiveness of sin is by the blood of Jesus. In Colossians 1, 20, we're told that peace with God comes by the blood of Christ. In Hebrews 9, 14, it is the blood of Christ that has purged our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In 1 Peter 1.19, we are reminded that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. In our text, in 1 John 1.7, we are told that the blood of Jesus is essential for our sanctification, for our fellowship with God. And in the book of Revelation, we're not only told time and time again that we are redeemed by the blood, washed by the blood, but the very victory over Satan and the forces of hell comes by the blood of Jesus. You know, when you look at the New Testament, very much like the Old Testament, you could break it up into three parts. There is the Gospels, there is the Epistles, and there's the book of Revelation. When we look at the Gospels, what is the heart of of the gospel call, I think it might be uh, John chapter number 3. And what do we see at the heartbeat of God? John 3, 14 through 16. As, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is John saying? What is Jesus saying in the Gospel of John? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It may be difficult to point to the heart of the epistles. They say so much about the blood of Jesus, as I said moments ago, but I believe if we had to pick one place where the heart of God is, I believe we could pick the the book of Romans, where Jesus plays such, and the gospel plays such a central role. 
And despite its many wonderful chapters, I believe chapter 5, no doubt, is the heartbeat of the entire epistle. And what does it say? Romans 5, 8, and 9, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. The Apostle Paul is saying that we are declared righteous, that we are declared holy before the eyes of God, not through our own works of the law, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? Exactly what John says. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. In the book of Revelation, we find its heartbeat in the very first chapter and in the fifth verse where we hear the church collectively sing Romans 1.5 And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. John is repeating himself what he said in his epistle. He says in his revelation, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It is essential from the gospel stories. That's why the devil hates the blood so much. That's why he wants it minimized so much. That's why he wants people to roll their eyes when they hear about the blood of Jesus because it's so vitally important to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scriptural subject of the blood. Second of all, the specific source of the blood. Look back at our text. In verse number 7 and in our phrase, the blood, notice this, of Jesus Christ, God's or His Son, God's Son. Notice that there is a specific blood that is mentioned. In our world today, it's not uncommon to hear about blood diseases like sickle cell anemia or, or leukemia. These diseases are found, although many people have experienced them, in an overall percentage, they are a very small percentage of the world's population that contracts this disease. But there is a disease, a blood disease, that can be found in 100% of the world's population. Romans 5.12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. By the sin of Adam and his tainted blood passed down to successive generations, we all, as humanity, have a blood problem. The blood of another man can't pay for sin. As much as I would like to pay for the sin of my son, Grayson, I cannot because I have my own tainted blood that must be purged. I have my own guilt to bear. I have my own sin that must be remitted I can't, I can't save him by my own blood. The blood of the most innocent among us, a, a newborn baby, cannot pay the price of sin. You see, saving blood is specific blood. Notice a source in our text. It says the blood, not of just anybody, but the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus in the Old Testament revelation, the tainted blood of a child could not be used as, a, as an innocent sacrifice for sin. You think about 
God has never in the Bible condoned the sacrifice of children. The sacrifice of babies. God has never called for that. The closest he ever came was to uh, to tell Abraham to offer his son Isaac. And in faith, Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah. And there on that mount, he laid the wood in place and laid his son on that altar and was about to slay his son. But the angel of God stopped his hand and a substitute was given. A whole gospel, a whole gospel type was born at that moment. You see, in the eyes of the law, uh, but, that, but in the Old Testament, the eyes or the, an animal was used in that sacrifice. You see, in the eyes of the law, an animal was not held guilty or accountable and did not have the blood of Adam. And so as a type of substitution, the animal was used for the sacrifice. But the Bible clearly states that that is insufficient. You see, when that first Passover happened of that lamb, God said, you shall do this year after year after year. And even in the book of Leviticus, in the Day of Atonement, the great day of Yom Kippur, it was to happen year by year by year. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats and the, of, of animals cannot substitute for sin. A true atoning substitute must come kind for kind. Therefore, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. The Word made flesh to dwelt among us. Remember how Matthew uh, uh, quoted uh, the angel Gabriel, Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And by this heaven-sent specific source, sufficient sin-cleansing blood was revealed to mankind. Hebrews 9.12, neither by the blood of, go- of, of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 10, 4 through 5, for it is not possible that blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. It was specific blood. It comes from a specific full source, not just anybody's blood. I'm sure you've heard battlefield stories of soldiers that have sacrificed their own bodies to save someone from a grenade or a bullet. But the reality is they may save them temporally, but they'll never save them They'll never save them eternally because that soldier encountered the death that they rightly deserved because of their sin. But Jesus was not only a specific source, but a spotless source. Notice it said, but the blood of who? Jesus. Notice this, Christ, His or God's Son. Notice it's spotless source. That baby having laying in a crib looks so innocent and pure. It's hard to believe that running through that child's vein is is a cursed seed of Adam. I mean, them little babies, so beautiful. And when they coo, they, I'm telling you, I tell Carrie all the time, I'm hooked on these baby videos on YouTube. I love looking at them little babies coo and their big eyes staring at a camera. I just, I can't get enough of them. 
But those babies, they may look innocent, but they ain't. <laughs> you give them another year and a half, and you'll find out how not innocent they are. You don't have to teach them how to sin. It just comes naturally to them. Why? Because they have that seed of Adam. They have that source of Adam's blood, that taint of Adam's blood. But in the Lord Jesus, we find one who is spotless. 1 Peter 2.22, Peter was a man that had spent every day waking moment with Jesus for three and a half years, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days for three years. And he come away. You follow me around that long, you're going to find some problems. I, pro I promise you. You'll find some duplicity. You'll find uh, some sins. You'll find me let slip a word or two that I shouldn't have a bad attitude, think a bad, a wicked thought. You'll find it. But Peter, who followed Jesus for that length of time, said that he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. John said in this very same epistle in chapter 3, verse 5, and you know that he was manifest in the flesh to take away sin, and in him is no sin. The Hebrew author said Jesus was, was tempted in all points like as we and yet without sin. The only available substitute in all of human history that could be genuinely saving, uh, a saving sacrifice is Jesus Christ. A spotless source a specific source, also a sovereign source. Look at what he says. The blood of Jesus, specific. Uh, the blood of Jesus, specific. The blood of Christ, spotless. The anointed one, the sent one of God, the Messiah. Then also says his son, meaning Jesus' son. It's a sovereign source. The source of saving blood is a sovereign source. He is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yes, Jesus was born into this world, and he worked in a carpenter's shop of Nazareth. But at the same time, he is God of very God. That's why the virgin birth is absolutely essential. You study, you study biology, you study the human body, and you'll always find that the blood type of the father is transferred to the child time and time and time again. That's why Jesus was born of the seed of the woman, not of the seed of the man. You look for seed in the Bible, you'll always find the seed of a man, the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, but you won't find the seed of the woman. Why? Because God was very specific that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Why? Because the seed of the woman would not have the tainted blood of Adam, the corrupted blood of sin passed down from generation to generation. No, that was broken with Jesus. The virgin birth gave Him divine blood, clean blood, worthy blood, sufficient blood, blood that saves, blood that cleanses. John the Baptist stood on the banks of the muddy Jordan River and clearly and plainly declared to all who would listen that this man Jesus was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. God's Lamb is Jesus. God's sacrifice for man's sin is Jesus. 
Notice we see not only a scriptural subject of the blood, the specific source of the blood, but finally the sweeping sufficiency of the blood. Look at what he says. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, notice this, cleanseth us from all sin. Sin. Sin is the blight upon beings, the scourge of societies, the curse of countries, the poison of this planet. Sin defiles, degrades, destroys, and if unforgiven, will ultimately damn a soul to an eternity in hell. What is the the remedy of this malady? What is the cure for our sinful condition? Yes, there is a cure. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. Notice a cleansing sufficiency. He said that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us. A preacher was preaching from this very text when suddenly he was interrupted by an atheist who who asked, how can blood cleanse sin? And for a moment, the preacher was silent. And then he asked the atheist, well, before I answer that, you answer this to me. How can water quench a thirst? The atheist thought for a moment and says, I don't know, replied the atheist, but I know it does. The the preacher responded, well, neither do I know how the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from sin, but I know that it does. God's Word tells us over and over that it does. Interesting to note, biologically. You know what blood does biologically? As our muscles work and energy is expended through muscles, there are byproducts that collect around those muscles And it is blood that when it circulates, cleanses that byproduct away. It takes away the mess. It takes away that which could contaminate and destroy. Actually, blood itself, biologically, as it works, cleanses our bodies. Takes it to our kidneys. Takes it to our digestive system. But the blood of Jesus Christ, it does cleanse Ephesians 1 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his riches to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter 1 18 and 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The precious blood of Jesus cleanses. It pardons. It averts the punishment. It proclaims man just. It makes us pure. The blood of Jesus Christ means everything to us. Everything to us that Jesus would shed His precious blood on the cross. One uh, one hymn writer wrote, The wrath of God that was my due upon the Lamb was laid, and by the shedding of His blood, the debt for me was paid. Jesus, by His blood, His death on the cross, paid my ransom. A cleansing sufficiency, but also a complete sufficiency. Notice that three-letter word that is so precious. Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from what? All sin. All sin. There are many that would lead you to believe that, yeah, sure, your 
past sins have been forgiven. They've been paid in full. But now, now you're on your own. (laughs) All your future sins are yours to deal with. You've got to get rid of them. You can't have sin. I was talking to a dear lady at my work the other day of a different denominational persuasion. And uh, I believe sometimes this denominational persuasion in their teaching comes dangerously close to a works-based salvation. And she began to recall that as from a child being raised to, uh, to believe that, you know, I don't go to movies because if I went to a movie theater and, uh, and was watching something I shouldn't, and I were to die in that theater, I'd die in my sins and I'd go to hell. Listen, that teaching is so far from the doctrine of the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I, can't, I can't begin to tell you how abhorrent that is to the gospel. Because Jesus died on, when he died on that cross on Calvary, every one of my sins was in the future. When he shed that blood, every one of my misdeeds, every one of my transgressions, every one of my sins was in the future. Jesus died for them all. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what depths of sin you have sunk. John tells us clearly, plainly, definitively, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. All sin. To close, if, if the Bible, because if the Bible emphasizes on blood, because of its emphasis on blood, we shouldn't be surprised that down through history, hymn writers have often taken their theme from the blood of Jesus. They, they have found their souls thrill, and their songs are filled with the theme of the blood of Jesus. And for example, in 1739, uh, Count Zinzendorf, uh, the leader of the Moravian the Moravian group there in Germany, wrote his great hymn, Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness. The very same year, Charles Wesley penned, His blood can make the foulest clean, His blood availed for me. Melancholy and depressed William Cooper wrote along the same lines, the same theme. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. But perhaps the most popular hymn about the blood, the one from which I take my title for our message today, was written by two men who came to Christ as teenagers. Robert Lowry, the author of The Words, came to Christ when he was 17 years old. William Donay confessed Christ as his Savior when he was equally a young man as well. Together, Donay wrote the, wrote the, uh, the melody or the, the, the music behind it. Lowry wrote the words. Together, they wrote hymns and published gospel songbooks throughout the history of, of their lives. When Nothing But the Blood was published in 1876, the attached scripture, you know, oftentimes you look at a hymn book, they'll have a hymn and then they'll have a scripture that goes with it. The scripture attached to nothing but the blood was Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. In, you know, it's puzzling to find 
that in most of our hymnals today, that they omit the last two stanzas of, of Lowry's words. Matter of fact, when I read this the other day, I was shocked that it's not in our hymn books today. The last two stanzas of nothing but the blood of Jesus go like this. Now by this I'll overcome nothing but the Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's nothing but Jesus' blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Blood that cleanses and blood that saves. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. That blood avails to, for you today. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, come. Avail yourself to the blood. Repent and believe the gospel. But the blood of Jesus, you know, there's some people that say that the blood is just simply a euphemism of the death of Jesus. But, the reality is, if Jesus had died of strangulation, it would not have been sufficient for our saving of our souls. Why? Because the, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. It is the death of Jesus and the blood shed by Jesus, both part and parcel, both equal in their atoning ability. It's the blood of Jesus that can save. You're here today, repent and believe the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross when He died on the cross. Believe on Jesus. For you that know Him in saving faith, man, I, I, we, ought to, we ought to sing those last, two, those last two verses every day. It's the blood by which I'm going home. It's the blood that I'll glory uh, to God in. The blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray uh, that you would uh, take this message and if there be any loss, that you would cause them to come to you. Open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. But God, I pray that you would help us to hope, help us to revel, help us to glory you in the fact that your son shed his blood on our behalf for our sin. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, page number 3. Uh, 68, one maybe two verses, 368, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's sing and worship the Lord together. You respond as God has, as ever God spoke to your heart this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.